everybody. My name is Ashley. And if it's quite all right with you, I'm going to bring the word tonight. Okay. Thank you. If it's not all right with you, well, I have a mic, so it's my whatever. Um, I'm so excited that my brother, Ryan, who is the student pastor, he asked me to come and speak. And I'm so excited that it was a part of this series, um, The Greatest Showman. How many of you love the movie? How many of you love the music? How many of you are like, "Mm, it's whatevs. Okay. Stop it. Um, Anyway, it's a great movie. It's great music. um, And I'm really excited for this series. And my sermon title and what we're focusing on tonight is based off of that song. And it's entitled, A Million Dreams. Say, ah, ah, a million dreams. And so what we're focusing on tonight, the topic that I'm going to be exploring with you is God's dream for your life. What is God's dream for your life? And if you're like me, you've spent some time thinking about this, right? We all have those moments, maybe late at night where we're lying in bed and we can't sleep and we start to think about, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Why did God create me? Why did God put me here on this earth? And so a word that I'm going to explore and use a lot tonight is the word purpose, Why did God create me? What on earth did God put me on earth for? What is my purpose? And you know, when I was in high school, I think I thought of purpose. um, I had a very small view of what God's purpose for my life was. I think a lot of times I looked at my purpose as being a few decisions that I made, right? So it's like I would think of purpose as where I went to college, what I majored in, what job I got, and who I married. As if those four decisions in my life completely encompassed what God has for me. And I want to tell you tonight, God's plan and purpose for your life It's so much bigger than just a few decisions that you make. Now, those decisions are a part of God's purpose, but they in and of themselves do not encompass God's purpose for your life. Another thing, I guess a myth that I used to think was that a purpose, my purpose was a destination, that God knew my purpose and I had to spend my whole entire life trying to figure it out. And then one day I would just arrive, you know, maybe when I'm like 50, 60, I would suddenly realize, check, I completed God's purpose. I can just chill until I die, right? Anybody else think that? Okay. On the count of three, I need everyone to just clap really loud. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you're out there and that you're tracking with me. And so I thought that... My, my purpose was some sort of destination that I had to arrive at. But I think God's plan for us is a lot bigger than just some sort of destination. And so we are going to look at the life of one of my favorite characters in the Bible, one of my favorite people in the Bible, and that is a man by the name of Moses. I just ripped out my earring. Just wanted to let you know. Okay, so we're going to look at the life of Moses. And I love Moses because he was a flawed man. He was a broken man. He was uncertain. He doubted God sometimes, but still God used a guy like Moses. And so we're going to be in the book of Exodus. And so if you look at your Bible, when Jesus comes on the scene, that's New Testament. That's like all the way over here. We're going back towards the very beginning in the book of Exodus. And I'm going to jump around a lot 
And so I apologize to my friends upstairs who are trying to keep up with me, but we have a lot of scripture to cover here tonight. Um, But I want to set the stage for you, kind of what's going on with the Hebrew people at this time. The Hebrew people, that's another um, name for the Israelite people. They were God's chosen people. And in the first chapter of Exodus, we read that they have become slaves to the Egyptian people. It is not a good time to be a Hebrew because they have been slaves actually for hundreds of years under the Egyptians. And the words used to describe this slavery in chapter one um, are things like they were ruthless. The Egyptians oppressed them. They dealt shrewdly with them. They were bitter and they worked them with hard labor. And then something else happened. So it's not a good time to be a Hebrew. But then Pharaoh, who's like the ruler of Egypt, the president, the king of Egypt, he's looking at his slave population and he notices something. He says, wait a second, there are more slaves than there are Egyptians. The slave population is skyrocketing and the Egyptian population is not so much. And you might say, well, isn't that a good problem to have as a slave master? But the problem is, is once the slaves start to outnumber you, they can band together and overthrow you. So Pharaoh starts getting real nervous. He's like, I don't like how this is all playing out. So here's what he does. He puts it into law that every Hebrew baby boy that is born will be killed the second they're born. I know it's really sad. And so that's what happens. The midwives deliver the babies, and if it's a boy, they throw them in the river. And so this is the world that Moses was born into. Mind you, a Hebrew baby boy born at a time when Hebrew baby boys are being killed. And so what are the chances that Moses actually survives after birth? Slim to none. But he had a real tricky mom, and his mom hid him for three months. But babies do this thing. It's really obnoxious. They cry, and they're loud. So at about month three, Moses is crying, right? And his mom realizes, I can't hide him anymore. They're going to come for my baby, and they will kill him. So in an act of desperation, she grabs a basket. She puts her three-month-old baby in a basket and places him in the second largest river in the world, the Nile River. And so what are the chances that he survives? I mean, this is the equivalent of me taking a three-month-old and putting that three-month-old in a basket and placing him or her in the St. John's River. What are the chances that that child would actually survive, right? There's currents and tide things, and there's uh, boats doing all the boatish things. and, And what are the chances that Moses actually survives? But his little basket floats right up to the feet. Pharaoh's daughter as she's bathing in the river and she opens it up and in that moment she could have said hey Hebrew baby boy come and get him but she looks at him and she feels sorry for him and she takes Moses in and raises him as her own so this is a Hebrew slave being raised as a prince of Egypt And then later on in verse uh, chapter three, it starts, it says one day after Moses had grown up. So it's almost like he's going through his life. He has the best of everything, the best education, the best food. He's living in the palace. And it's like one day he realizes or he like connects the dots 
And I don't know if Moses always knew that he was Hebrew. If it's something that was constantly thrown in his face, you're not really one of us. I don't know if grandma in her old age let it slip one night at the dinner table. Hey, just in case you didn't know, you're actually not Egyptian. You're actually not blood relative to any of us. Or I don't know if he just like realized, wait a second, I don't look like you. My skin tone is a little bit different than all you other Egyptians in this family. But somehow Moses realizes I'm not one of you. And so all of a sudden, everything changes. It's like he grew up. It's like his eyes were opened. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, okay, I got to grow up now. This is like the real world. I can't just play around the palace anymore. This is real life. My people, my Hebrew people, they're suffering. And so he's walking. He's walking around one day, and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And all of it, I'm sure he had seen it plenty of times before in his life, but all of a sudden it was not okay anymore. It was not okay. And he thinks that could be my brother. That could be my dad. That could be my uncle. That if it wasn't for a basket in a river, that could be me. And Moses loses it. And he kills the slave master. Kills him with his bare hands, broad daylight. And then he buries his body in the sand. And here's the thing about killing people in broad daylight. Not like I've ever done that before. But here's the thing. People see it, right? And they know that it was you. And so a warrant is put out for his arrest and not really his arrest, but for his head. And so Moses runs for his life into the desert. He leaves it all behind. And he wanders for 300 miles, and then he comes across a little group of people called the Midianites, and he thinks one of them's pretty cute, so he marries her, has two kids, settles in the desert, and just decides to be a shepherd. That's just the first two chapters of Exodus. That is the story of our hero, Moses. That is the guy that God has a purpose for. But where's the purpose? I'm sure Moses didn't see it. I'm sure he was wandering through that desert thinking, what am I going to do? What use does God Almighty have for me? What have I done? Have I blown it already? And so we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, hmm, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them. I'm going to say that again. So I, God, have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hopping over to verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so we see here that after all of Moses' shortcomings, all of the times where he just nearly missed death, after all of the wandering in the desert, God says, I have a plan for you. I mean, let's recap this, right? We have a Hebrew baby boy born a slave. He won the Egyptian adoption lottery and he was raised as a prince in the palace. He murdered a man in cold blood. He ran as a fugitive from the law. Many of us would even consider him a coward because he just left it all. He left the consequences of his actions. He left his family. He left his friends and he just started a new life somewhere else. And the God of all creation looks down at a man like Moses and he says, that's my guy. And I was just reading this and thinking, if God can use a guy like Moses, then maybe, just maybe, God can use you and he can choose me. In Genesis, uh, in the creation story, it says that God just spoke and things were created. All he had to do was speak, and there was land, and there were seas. All he had to do was speak, and there was, um, there was plants and animals. All he had to do was speak. It's like pizza, and there just be a pizza here. All he had to do was say it. But when it comes to how God created you, it uses a phrase in Psalms that he knit you together. Do we have any knitters in the room? Exactly, right? We don't knit things because it takes too much time. You know, knitting is time-consuming. Knitting is detail-oriented. Knitting is intimate. It's creative. It takes time. And that is the manner in which God created you. He took his time. He was creative. He paid attention to all of the details. You are sewn together with heavenly thread for a heavenly purpose. God created you with a purpose. He wasn't sitting up in heaven thinking, hmm, I'm bored. Maybe I'll make a baby today, right? That might be your parent's story about how you came to be. Hey, but that was not God's story. (laughs) That was not God's story for you. You were made on purpose for a purpose. You know, I was in a meeting recently And they were going over some statistics for Duval County. And Duval County Public Schools does a survey every so often. And they take, um, they're basically, it's an anonymous survey. Many of you may have taken it. And they're uh, they're taking um, statistics on at-risk behaviors in middle school and high schoolers. And so we actually just got this uh, 2017 data. And this is just Duval County. And I heard this in a meeting, and I was preparing for this, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go here. But God told me at the five o'clock service, we got to talk about this. The church needs to talk about this. Because here's the statistic. One in five high school students considered suicide. That's a 
13, uh, 19% increase from 2013. One in five high school students attempted, not just thought about it, but actually tried to commit suicide. That is a huge 63% increase from 2013. And the church can't stay quiet about it anymore. And so I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but in a room this size, if we're looking at those statistics, that means that there's someone in this room. And in fact, that means there's a lot of someones in this room. And so I just, I know this is kind of heavy, but I want to say this point again. And I want to say it to that person or those people in this room who need to hear it, that God has a purpose for your life. And we want to see you realize that purpose, but in order to do it, you need to be here. And so I just want to encourage whoever is like, God, that's me. If that is you, I want you to tell someone, and it might not be real pretty for a little while. You might have to get some help. You might have to go somewhere to get some help, but let me tell you, I'm going to say it again. God created you for a purpose. You, not the person sitting next to you, not some other person, but he created you for a purpose. The next thing that I see from the life of Moses is you don't have what it takes. Congratulations. Thanks for coming to church. You don't have what it takes. But the second part of this is more important, and that's exactly what it takes. You don't have what it takes, but that's exactly what it takes. If we pick up in chapter 3, verse 11, I love it. Moses is saying, you know, God's laid out this whole plan for Moses. And then Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's like, why is this Pharaoh guy even going to look at me? This is the equivalent of me going to the White House and saying... Hey, God told me I need to speak to Donald Trump. You think I'm going to get in? No, probably not. So Moses is like, listen, God, why is Pharaoh going to listen to me? And God says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Then Moses said, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers have sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell him? He's like, listen, these Hebrew people, they don't know me. And the ones who do know me, know me as a murderer. So I'm not going into a real friendly situation here, God. And so how, what am I supposed to say to them? And so God says, I am who I am. That's what you're supposed to say to them. I am has sent me. And so Moses keeps going on. He has so many questions. He has so many concerns. In verse 10, he says, Oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Basically what this is saying, he probably had a speech impediment. He maybe even had like a stutter. And he's like, whoa, if you're looking for someone to go and talk to people, that is literally, I'm not the guy. I'm so not the guy, God. And still, God answers him. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then I love verse 13. It's probably one of my favorites because I've totally been here. But Moses said, oh, Lord, please just send someone else. Right? 
I mean, did you have like a second runner up that you were kind of considering for the job, but then you thought I had more qualifications. And so you called me instead. Could you give that guy a call? Because I'm not really on board with this. If I'm your only option, then sure, maybe I'll do this. But God, is there anybody else? Anybody else? Moses is like, I don't have what it takes. And God is saying, exactly. You don't have what it takes, but it is my mighty hand that will move Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses, this was never about you. It's about my power. I'm doing the rescuing. I'm just asking you to go. Can you do that for me? Can you just go and trust that I will be the one who rescues? Because you don't have what it takes, but I do. And I think about what if God chose a king to go meet with Pharaoh? That would probably make more sense, right? You get a king who has a lot of um, uh, army people who can fight if needed. And you get him, he has some political pull. He knows how to talk to the Pharaoh. Hey, listen, I'll give you some of this. If, if you do this for me, let the people go. And he was good with talking. What if that king went in? What if that was the story? The king goes to Pharaoh, strikes a deal, and the people are let go. We would look at that and we would say, that makes sense. But if a joker like Moses can waltz into Egypt and talk to one of the most powerful men in the world with his speech impediment, if he can go in there and he can leave Egypt with thousands of people who've been enslaved for hundreds of years, we look at that story and we say, well, it wasn't Moses. So it must be God. And so actually when you don't have what it takes, it points other people to the person who does have what it takes. And that is God. Many of you didn't know me when I was in elementary school because you weren't born yet. And that's okay. (laughs) But I'm actually, you know, you see me up here on stage singing and talking right now. I'm actually, when I was younger, very, I was shy. Um, especially if I didn't really know people. I was extremely shy, like at school and stuff. And so it wasn't in my nature to get up on stage ever and to do that. I mean, Lindsay would be over here like, you know, I have a show, but I, you know, that wasn't really me. But then, um, but I loved to sing and more than loving to sing, I, I loved worship music. And my mom, being the amazing woman she is, pushed me to lead at, at student ministry, and I would cry, and I would yell at her, and I'd say, you're the meanest mom in the whole world. I can't believe you're making me do this, and it would be horrible, but she knew that I had a purpose, and to make matters worse, right? I'm already shy. I don't have the highest self-esteem, but I had a best friend. Her name was Graylin, and she was an incredible, she still is an incredible vocalist, She's been on The Voice. It's like her career is doing music. And so we would typically sing together. And people would say the stupidest stuff, right? Adults. Adults would come up, let's say in a service, I sang a song, she sang a song. They would come up to me and they would say things like, you did really good. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. Can you believe how amazing she is? And I would just feel myself like, oh what am I even doing? And I know it's not for other people, but when you're young and you're trying to, and you're really putting yourself out there to have people constantly compare you to someone who's better, 
it like tore me apart. I was supposed to sing a song at a Christmas Eve service and I, I, I sang at the first service. Someone said something like that to me in between services and I could not go on and sing the next service. I said, I can't, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. And I almost quit singing and leading altogether. Just not going to do it. But then God told me, he said, Ashley, yeah, she is a good singer. But I didn't call you to be a singer. That's not your purpose. You are a worshiper. And you are called to be a leader of worshipers. And if you spend your whole life comparing yourself to that girl who has a completely different purpose, you will never realize what I have for you. I mean, I just can't even imagine my life if I did not lead in worship. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do. It's when I feel like I am most of who God called me to be. But I almost lost that because I kept looking at my failures, at my inadequacies, at the things that I didn't quite do as good as someone else. You don't have what it takes, and that's exactly what it takes. God said, I will rescue with my mighty hand. I will rescue. The third point that I see from the story of Moses is that the path to purpose will include some time in the desert. And I don't mean physical desert, more than likely. I mean kind of a difficult season of life. You know, Moses had to wander for 300 miles before he came across the people of Midian. And then when he lived with them, he was just living in the desert, herding sheep. And if you know Moses' story, this was not the last time he would wander in the desert. There's a whole 40 years that he wanders later, and it's tough times. But Moses needed to go through the desert. And sometimes we go through difficult life circumstances and God is pushing us in these these difficult life circumstances because he has something for us. God does his best work in the deserts of our lives. Because Moses, when he killed that guy and he was leaving Egypt, I would say he had some anger problems he needed to work on. He was not in a place to stand in front of Pharaoh and simply say, let my people go. He had some anger he needed to work through. He had some identity stuff that he needed to work through. Am I Egyptian? Am I Hebrew? I don't even know. Egyptians don't like me. Hebrews don't like me. Where do I fit in? He had some identity problems. And this is a guy who grew up very privileged in the palace. He had never led anybody anywhere. And so Moses wasn't ready for the purpose. He needed to spend some time in the desert. God needed to grow something in him. God needed to stretch him a little bit. God needed to build up some of his character so that he could accomplish the purpose. Sometimes we go through deserts because God is trying to grow something in us. And a little side note about deserts. Some of y'all go through deserts, and I'm speaking to myself here as well. And I say this with all the love and not, no judgment. I get it. We all make mistakes, whatever. But sometimes we look up at God and we say, God, why are you sending me through this horrible life season? And God's looking down and he said, I didn't send you into that desert. That's a desert that you chose. Let me break this down for you. So you're looking up at God and you're saying, God, why am I failing? My, my parents are always on my back. I can't do anything fun because I'm failing at school. I'm stupid. I can't do it. And God's like, whoa, 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 not me. Why don't you go to class? Why don't you do your homework? Why don't you study? 
And so that's not a desert that God created. That's actually a desert that you created. See what I'm saying here? Or let's say you have this guy and you think he's cute. Hey, right? And all of your friends are like, whoa, no, don't do it. Don't go there. He doesn't believe like you believe. He's very different. Sure, he's nice. He's nice to look at. Don't do it. And then what do you do? Oh, (laughs) hey, you know, and so you're now dating him and you're saying, I don't get it, God. He's pressuring me to do stuff I don't want to do. I don't want to go to church anymore because those people judge me for dating him. I have no one to talk to. Why did you put me in this place? And God said, this is a desert you chose. You walked right into this one. I didn't want this for you. And so the beauty of it is that whether it's a desert you created or if it's a desert that you're just going into because we live in a world of sin or if it's a desert that God is sending into you, whatever the reason, we serve a God of redemption. He can redeem any desert you find yourself in. The last thing I see from the life of Moses is actually found in the beginning of chapter four. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. So then God does this really cool thing where he's like, throw your staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. And then he's like, we'll pick it back up. So he picks up the tail of the snake and it turns back into a staff. But I love this because God is saying, what's that? And Moses is looking, he's like, it's a, it's a weathered stick that I've been carrying around for years. This is insignificant. This is just mundane, ordinary, day-to-day stuff. And God says, yeah, but I can use that. This is a staff that helped Moses to climb mountains. It helped him to corral sheep, you know, where you're like this. Not like hitting them, but just mushing them. Mushing? (laughs) Mushing, that's dogs, isn't it? Anyway, so he's like, this is what he had used day in and day out. And he's like, no, 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 God, this is insignificant. This doesn't matter. And God's like, but it's what we got. So we're going to work with what we got. And so some of you have things in your life. You're like, God, this is just a job. This is just my football team. This is just third period. And God says, yes, In the hands of you, it's just third period. It's just a job. But in the hands of an almighty God, I can do mighty things in third period. I can do mighty things on your football team. But the thing that you have to do is you have to bring that to me and you have to lay it down and allow me to use it. What is that in your hand? So here are my action steps for us tonight. First of all, pursue the purpose. It's not something you arrive at. You don't have, all the, have to have all the answers when you leave here tonight. It's a pursuit. It's running after God. The second step I have is draw close in the desert because your temptation when you're going through a difficult time is to stiff arm God and say, this is all your fault. And so I'm going to run in this direction. And he says, come close. This is when I do my best work. Let me show you what I'm trying to do in your life and you're hurting and you're in pain and I get that, but come close. The third thing is just asking yourself this question. What is that in your hand? What is the thing that God wants to use in your life that you think is ordinary, that you think is day-to-day, that you think isn't very special? And just like Moses, you're saying, it's just a stick. And God is saying, I can work with that. 
What is that in your hand? And the last thing, when you don't know what to do, do what you know. So you might say, listen, this is all well and good, but I don't know my purpose. I'm leaving here tonight. That was fun, but I still don't know my purpose. But let me tell you, you might not know the specifics of your purpose, but this book is filled with what I would call an all skate. Basically directives given by God to all people, purposes for our life that apply to all people. Like love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not give up meeting together in life groups, in church. All of these things can be a part of our pursuit, even when we don't know some of those specifics for our life. Go into all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that we can pursue when we're not quite sure what the specifics of our purpose is. Pursue the purpose, draw close in the desert, ask yourself, what is that in your hand? And when you don't know what to do, do what you know. We're going to take a second and we're going to watch a video of someone uh, who, you know, grew up in this ministry and their pursuit of God's purpose for their lives. So go ahead and check this out. All right. So before we close in worship, I just, I want to say one other thing and, and take the chance to pray for you. Um, so here's, here's the deal. You have a purpose. And God knows you have a purpose and you know you have a purpose. And if you didn't know, I told you tonight. So you know you have a purpose, but the enemy also knows that you have a purpose. And if you've given your heart and your life to Christ, your eternity in heaven, that is set in stone. That is written with the blood of Jesus Christ. The enemy cannot take that from you. And that's the good news. But... The enemy will try to steal your present. He will try to kill God's dreams for your life. He will try to destroy the plans that God has sown within you at creation. And even now, as maybe you're listening, those, that voice has come in, that voice of condemnation and shame. And if it hasn't already, it might be later tonight. It might be weeks or months. And that voice says, life is just random. You don't matter. That voice is saying, do what makes you happy. Can't change this broken world. It's already too messed up. You have no skills to offer God. Go ahead and just live your life how you want to. And that is the voice of the enemy and he wants to paralyze you for God's purposes. Because he knows if he can get you in middle school and in high school and if he can have you waste years of your life not knowing what the purposes of God are, then he can keep you from accomplishing his kingdom tasks here on earth. And so I want to pray for you because I want to pray that, that we would lean in to the, um, we would lean into the purposes of God and not be distracted by the enemy's schemes to, to, to take us down a different path because he's going to try. And so if y'all would all just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes, I just want to pray for us. 
God, I thank you that you have created every person in this room with a purpose. And God, whether we know it or not, that purpose is it's sown within our very being. But God, I know that there is an enemy who wants to try and steal the things that God is doing in this room because he knows in this room there are world changers. He knows in this room that there are those who will start revival. He knows there are those in this room because of their testimony. They will bring others to know who Christ is and he wants to stop that. And so I pray against the schemes of the enemy here tonight, the one who would try and steal the purposes that you have for us. God, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ and we destroy those arguments that are against what we know to be true. So God, I just pray protection over this place that we would pursue the purpose with everything that we have. That we would pursue you with everything that we have. God, we love you. We honor you. Amen. Amen. If y'all will stand on up to your feet, we're gonna respond just through a time of worship. And the altars are open if you just need to come and pray or pray for each other. Pray for each other here tonight that you would pursue God with all that you are. Amen.